Hey, Jonathan here. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to let you know that the information that our guest Aaron Austin shares in this episode is provided for information purposes only. It's not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about your specific issues or set of facts. Please consult with a lawyer before making any decisions. With that said, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we are joined by special guest Aaron Austin. Aaron, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much. So happy to be here. For folks that are just hearing your name for the first time, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Aaron Austin. I am a lawyer who has been working in the intellectual property adjacent space for many years. I started doing corporate securities work in a traditional big firm, but found myself in LA. And when in LA, I guess it's the Romans uh, analogy, I ended up in the film business. And, uh, and from there, uh, went into, you know, publishing and market research and data and um, data protection now these days. And so, um, I've been in and about the intellectual property space, always on the transaction side. And uh, now I am using that IP experience and that corporate transactions experience to work with experts to help them uh, turn their expertise into intellectual-based revenue streams so that they can increase their income and their impact. You have our attention. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my my little bat ears are are rotating at the moment. (laughs) Well, maybe we should start with like really basic intellectual property 101. So when you say intellectual property, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so there are four categories of intellectual property, which I'll start with. Uh, Copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, and patents. And I'll Go from the end back to the beginning. So patents are the things that we think of, which are inventions, you know, like uh, computers or pharmaceutical products. And uh, and those generally are not the things that those of us in the expertise based business are, are dealing with. But um, that is the first category that I'm kind of going to kind of put to the side. Then we have trade secrets. And those are the things that have monetary value so long as you keep them secret. And so you protect them by using your uh, non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements, and having them disclosed only on an as-needed basis and um, protecting uh, that, again, the value is in their confidentiality. We have trademarks. Trademarks denote the origin of a good or service. So your trademarks would be the logo for McDonald's or the uh, FedEx, the orange, I think it's orange and purple, right? Uh, FedEx (laughs) symbol. Um, So that we know that when we see those symbols, we know exactly who's providing that good or that service. And then copyrights. Um, which are probably of most interest to this audience, are the expressions, uh, uh, the our original expressions that we put down in some kind of concrete form, whether that be in writing or music or um, photographs or blueprints. And so that is um, how we... Uh, basically document our intellect. I like to call intellectual property the product of our intellect. And so we use intellectual property laws to provide a monopoly 
you know, legal monopoly on using our intellect. So um, we use the, the way that we protect them through the intellectual property laws depends on the nature of the category. So for copyrights and trademarks, we do register those with the copyright or trademark office. Same with patents, you also register those. Trade secrets, as I mentioned, the, the value is in how they remain secret. So we don't actually uh, register our trade secrets, but we it's but through our practice of keeping it confidential that we protect uh, the intellectual property there. So Aaron, where does like a, a consulting process fit into this? Would that be a trade secret? I mean, I'm thinking we're demonstrating it as we're doing it, but it's maybe unique to us. Yeah, well, when we provide consulting services, we are creating intellectual property in a couple of ways. Now, the trade secret may be your internal processes. So again, that's something that you keep confidential, right? So it may be internally you have a process of analyzing, you know, maybe you can look at a business and know these are the strengths or these are the weaknesses. I have a process for analyzing, assessing that business. And that may be so unique that if anyone else had access to it, that it would, uh, it would, it would, it would detract from the value of the service that I'm providing. It's fairly rare in consulting businesses to have something of that nature. It's usually, uh, more, um, maybe, uh, for instance, um, you know, I mean, the trade secrets that we're all familiar with are, are recipes for Coca-Cola or for um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. But you may also have that with a um, a system like if we go back to the FedEx uh, example of how they get uh, their packages from one end of the country to the other end of the country overnight. Um, that may be a trade secret um, or it may actually be a a patent. Sometimes processes can be patented. Usually they can't, but sometimes they can. Um, and uh, and so most likely in a consulting business, the intellectual property that we're creating is going to be copyrighted. So that will be our training materials, our assessment processes, our you know the work product that we have for the client. Um, those are going to be things that, you know, are the books that we write, the courses that we create, um, those will all be uh, protected as copyrighted materials. Gotcha. Gotcha. So is copywriting when we're doing those things, is it as simple as writing, you know, copyright 2022 at the bottom and, and who holds it, either your name or the name of your firm? Yeah, it's even simpler than that. I mean, under U.S. copyright law, uh, the creator, meaning the human being who created the original expression, the copyright applies at the moment of creation. So as I sit here at my desk and I am writing um, a copy for my website, uh, even if I never register it with a copyright office, um, I own it as the creator. It is, I am the copyright owner of that material. Um, the exception to that would be when we work as an employee. So if I'm an employee and I'm writing copy for my employer's website, my employer owns it at the time of creation. And if I hire a copywriter to create it for me, then I need to make sure I have something in writing, which says I, as the, um, 
uh, as the buyer of your service that I will own the copyright in what you're creating for me. So, but the the answer to your question about the circle and the C and, and the date, that's notice. So that gives notice to whoever reads it or has access to it. Someone is claiming copyright ownership in this material, but that is not required to for that copyright to attach. As far as registration, if you want to enforce your copyright, so somebody steals your material and you want to sue them to enforce your rights, that has to have been registered in order to to uh, enforce that action in a court. Um, but but it does attach upon creation. Well, that's an interesting. That feels like a distinction <laughs> without a difference. Like like if I have copyright on an art the article i wrote yesterday but i don't have the little c at the bottom of my site i can't enforce it you you, you can you can register it and then enforce it but you I can't see. enforce it without <laughs> registration so that is a requirement for enforcement but you won't lose you won't lose the ability to enforce it because it's not registered so you're not like just putting it out into the world for free because you don't have that little the c and the date on there um but if but notice again you're putting notice out into the world so people will be discouraged from copying it mm. um but but if they do then you do have a, a way of enforcing that by registering it okay so I, it's funny i was expecting to to have no examples of <laughs> but as you were talking i'm like now i have a million questions about specific things like for example i re i don't know where does this fall where does this fall i have a Sunday comic that I publish online and you know it's like a comic like three panels or whatever and and people commonly there people are always at you like oh is it okay if I share this on my site and link back to you like a lot and it was it was becoming to the point where I, I was like yeah just share it you know so I, I put a I put a notice at the bottom that they can do that so they don't have to email me so I don't have to like go back and forth and it's I don't even know uh, it Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 License, which I don't know if that means anything to you. It means nothing to me, but it was the one that another comic person used. So I was like, oh, I'll use that one. He's been around longer <laughs> than me. Yeah, so Creative Commons is not a substitute. It's not a type of copyright. So it is a license. Mm -hmm. So you have, you create your comic, you as a creator own the copyright in the comic, and you can either give permission on a case-by-case -case basis with a negotiated license agreement um, for someone to share it on their website, or you can do what you've done. You can use a standardized license, which is what Creative Commons has done. It's created these standardized licenses so you don't have to negotiate them when you're not expecting to be paid a license fee, but you do want attribution or link back or whatever the conditions are that you can just grant a license to anyone who follows the rules of the Creative Commons license. And so it does not interfere with your copyright. You still have your copyright ownership and their use is subject to that license, in, which in this case is the Creative Commons license. And those the, those numbers and things that you put on the at the end of it will determine what the conditions of the license are, like attribution or link back and things like that. Question about that, because I see a number of people on their websites have very specific, you know, plain English descriptions of how you can use their content. You know, you can use this, you have to use my picture, you have to use my name, you have to use this description. Is it 
Is one better than the other to have this plain English language description on your site versus a standardized Creative Commons license? Well, plain, plain language is always good. I'm pro plain language. Uh, I mean, the value of the Creative Commons is um, that uh, the more people are using it and therefore there's kind of a greater understanding uh, generally of what it means when you have a Creative Commons license versus the one that you've put there yourself, maybe you miss something or, um, you know, maybe there's something that's ambiguous about it. Um, but, um, and maybe they don't even see it like, you know, um, but, um, but, you know, so I like anything that makes it easier to understand and is in a way that's really visible, um, and, and, uh, and has some, uh, pattern of use associated with it. So that would just be Got my it. preference. Yeah. Got it. So how do you make the decision how does an individual, a business owner, make the decision on which things to protect and which things not to protect? Well, uh, again, you know, everything has the copyright at the time that it's created. Now, which will you decide to register um, or which to enforce? I, maybe that's the mm. question. But first is the registration. So things that are very kind of um, dynamic, you know, like your website copy. Yeah, uh, just, you know, put your C and your date on there. You probably aren't going to um, register every web page, especially if you're, you know, changing it uh, frequently. Um, mm -hmm. Most people do not, uh, you know, register their newsletters that go out. Um, but something that's more evergreen, they will, like a book or courses or, or you know, maybe they've created graphics or things like that, um, that they will want to register. Um, Typically, people don't register, you know, presentations, but it could be if it's like their signature talk that they use over and over again. Um, but, um, but you know, registering isn't that expensive. Um, last time I checked, it's only 30 bucks per um, item. But do you want to, you know, keep up with all these things if they're going to be changing frequently? Um, and if you wouldn't go after someone if they used it? So um, if someone takes your entire website, which happens, um, and, and dupes it, you know, you, would you go after them? Probably yes. If someone took, uh, you know, part of your webinar presentation, would you go after them? Probably no. Um, and so there is always going to be that kind of business case for enforcing um, your rights in something and, and letting it go. Um, sometimes just it's a matter of that, uh, uh, cease and desist letter that can cause people, you know, maybe they don't understand that anything on the web, on the internet isn't free. Like some people believe that, you know, and, uh, and so maybe they just need to be re reminded that no, it's not. I own this and you need a license to use it um, or stop using it. Um, but sometimes people use it intentionally, knowingly, and, uh, and then you have to make a decision about whether or not you want to enforce those rights. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, it, more than once I've been alerted by readers that um, my books are available for sale on someone else's site that I've never heard of. And you, you go there and, and like, oh, look, you know, Chris Doe's book is there too. And Blair N's book is there too. You know, all the, the digital versions of them. And it's like, what are you going to do? You know, like, am I really going to, uh, you know, hire a lawyer? And so like, what, what should someone even I don't even know what the next step is you know like am i really gonna my lawyer is like 200 bucks an hour <laughs> right. so you know what am i really losing yeah i mean that's, that's a good question I, I mean you know obviously if it's something that is highly 
you know, valuable and you, and you see that they're turning, you know, out, you know, a thousand copies a month. Um, that's something that you want to pursue. Um, you know, I, I'm not a litigator, but there is a new forum that the copyright office has created. That's not quite, you know, what your, uh, um, it's not a DIY form, but it is a much quicker and simpler process for enforcing, uh, copy rights um, than the old process, which was very involved and really you, you never got involved with it unless it was a highly valuable property. And it's very new. Honestly, I don't know how that's going and if people are taking advantage of it. Um, but that is something that if you have something that maybe isn't worthy of, you know, uh, tens of thousand dollars in legal fees, that maybe it's worth it. But, um, but uh, that's, you know, something I actually should follow up on and see what's been happening with that because it's only a couple years old make a good email it would, it would. <laughs> so the only reason i've ever i'm i am like super duper web hippie type everything on the web is free as far as i'm concerned i know that's not true but um and so i'm i'm i always share 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 everything just let it go out there because my whole like from a strategic standpoint you want the idea to i want the ideas to spread and i feel like putting any speed bumps in the way of that happening is counter to my mission the th the thing, the only thing that's ever given me pause was someone suggested to me that someone could lock me out of my own stuff, meaning someone could like trademark the name of my flagship seminar and then I couldn't use it anymore. Is, is that, is there any mm. truth to that? Yeah, well, that, or you, you mentioned, there's two different concepts, but one, let's talk about the trademark first. And so someone can beat you uh, for the trademark to one of your goods or services or your company name. And so um, if there is value in that, then you probably do want to get a trademark in that. But they, but that doesn't mean they could lock you out. I mean, still the content is yours. They cannot steal the content. They cannot steal your recordings. And so, I mean, the worst case scenario would be you, someone beats you to uh, the trademark, and you have to ch change the name, but the content is still yours. Um, but uh, the answer is if you, if that trademark, um, you know, has secondary meaning in the mark, like everyone associates it with you, um, you really do want to make sure that you get protection for that so that you don't use it, lose it because, you know, they could borrow, they borrow that, that, um, market positioning from you if they get there first. So hmm. does yeah. owning the domain name for the term have any bearing whatsoever? Uh, no, no. So, um, you, you know, when someone has, has a trademark and they, if they're registering, want to register for the trademark, the copyright office, I don't I mean, the trademark office will do a search for other trade registered trademarks that are similar or confusing. Um, I am not sure that they look at URLs or not. Um, but, uh, but mostly the, the thing that would prevent the trademark office really from rejecting somebody else trying to use your, your, what I'm going to call your mark, uh, would be because there's something else registered already. Um, so you have common law trademarks, you know, with your URL. Um, but, uh, the federal trademark may trump that. And so you just don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to get into that fight. That would be my recommendation is, gotcha. is uh, yeah. 
that's, that's really interesting because when I was doing a lot of brand work, you know, we I'd come up with a concept, right, that I would test and I would look to see was anybody else using the concept, like these specific words around the concept. I would check the trademark database to see if anybody had it and then the URL and we would only proceed with it if all those things were clear. In other words, nobody else was using it in just copyright or non-copyright. No one had had trademark. I shouldn't say copyright, trademark. No one had trademarked it and the URL was available. Um, but really, I guess what you're saying is we could have been more aggressive if we wanted to. Well, I mean, that's but you don't need to be. I mean, I still think being conservative in that way is good because you want to make sure all those things are available so you can have a unified brand so that your URL will be consistent with your trademark, right? Um, and so you don't have to do the, you know, I'm the original, whatever, you know, like the things that people torture to get, you know, an original um, URL when the URL isn't available. Um, but but the tail, the URL is the tail, and you don't want the tail to wag the dog, but um, but yeah, but the most important thing is that federal trademark, and and it is a good idea to do. You know, anyone can go on the internet and go to the trademark office and search for uh, similar trademarks. But just know that when you are actually trying to get that uh, trademark approved by the trademark office, that they have additional resources that they're looking at that you that you're not going to see. So just because you don't see anything that's the same when you go on and put in, you know, uh, the business of authority, that it, it doesn't mean that there won't be other things that they decide are similar or confusing. TM, TM, TM. Yeah. <laughs> TM on the <laughs> Which that that was we were talking about that before the show. So let's say we did register the business of authority as a trademark, which obviously we've already done, dear listener. Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> then do you have to put the TM everywhere for it to stick, or is that again? Are you just signaling that don't bother searching? We have already trademarked this. Yeah, it it is about enforcing. That really is about um, pursuing anyone who who takes it. So when you have and it's registered, by the way, you use the R in the circle. So the TM says that you're claiming trademark and you can put the TM without a tra uh, an official federal registration. Says so the TM is I'm I'm claiming uh, that this is my mark that denotes the origin with me or my company. So I, for instance, I do not have a trademark and think beyond IP, but I could put the TM there because I I do claim the origin of that um, of that term. Um, and when you have it registered through the officially registered through the trademark office, you get your certificate of registration from them, then you can put the R and that means it's registered trademark. And that is the gold standard for, for trademark registration. Um, and if you don't use it, it's recommended that you use it. Um, but if you don't use it, um, again, anyone can find you in the in, online and the register and the trademark office is having a registered trademark with that term and you want to uh, make sure you are monitoring use of that term on the internet so if you people are using it and you're not asking them to stop using it and people just are starting to use the term the business of authority as kind of a term of art uh, as opposed to referring to your website uh, to your podcast then you can lose. It can become kind of pass into kind of the comment, you know, the lexicon, right? Like 
Brazier and Kleenex, well, I guess not Kleenex, but, um, and so you do want to make sure that you are enforcing your rights when you have a trademark. So another question about that. So when you're trademarking, um, are you trademarking the name itself or the graphic representation of the name, or is it sometimes both? Or both. Yes, it can be. It can be the words. You can have a word mark, or you can have uh, the logo, the golden arches, um, or it can be both like Coca-Cola with the cursive. Um, and so it can be all, all of those or any of those. Yep. This is super interesting. So we should probably pivot into, you know, uh, you get, I think you've given us a pretty good grounding, the IP for dummies. Thanks for that. How would we needed it? Yeah. So speaking of podcasts, uh, your podcast, I believe, is called Hourly to Exit, right? That's right. I love this. First of all, I love that. Um, The let's talk about that. So, from at a strategic level, let's say you're, you know, expertise based authority business, maybe a soloist or a small firm, but let's just let's just keep it simple. How would you, let's say you purposely wanted to not be like me and give everything away for free. Yes, please share it. Please, please reprint it or whatever. And be like, no, I, I want to, it's not about the idea of spreading. It's about me putting Cheerios in the bowl. And when I have a brilliant insight, if people want to use it, uh, I license it to like, what, how, how would you even think about if I was purposely going to create that kind of a business where I produce materials like I don't know a workbook or something. I'm not even I don't even know what to say. And and the then training wanna, program. Uh, yeah, great, great, great. And then license it to other people. What does that even look like? Yeah. Well. Okay. So I, I'm going to back up a little bit. So one, I think that there is a perception that IP or intellectual property is a product, and it's not a product like a book or a course, or even a licensing program. IP is the exclusive right to exploit your intellect. And so when we are, as experts, are building businesses that we're trying to move from that freelancer hourly business model mindset um, to one that can scale and hopefully sell someday. So that's one that is independent from us kind of putting time in our seats, um, that we are thinking about building a body of work that is unique to us and that we protect through intellectual property. And so when we are experts, we are creating intellectual property every single day because again, intellectual property is the fruit of our intellect. And so when we are And the foundation of that, I'll tell you where you start. The foundation of that is with contracts because the way that we own the fruit of our intellect is to make sure that we aren't giving it all away to our clients, that we are reserving the parts that are unique, that aren't, that is not using their uh, proprietary information. So the part that we bring to it, that we're reserving that because we're going to use that with other clients. We're going to use it to develop a product someday. We're going to use it to to booster our body of work. And we have it with uh, contracts with our subcontractors. So when we are the client, 
that we are making sure that we own the things that are being created for us. Because as I mentioned, like the human being who created it owns it unless there is a, an, a contract to the contrary that is assigning those rights to the, the buyer. So the, the, the uh, accumulation of the services that we provide, the services we get in, those deliverables, whether they're in the form of advice or something concrete like design or code, um, those things come together to help us, uh, you know, with all, I mean, <laughs> you guys are the experts about, you know, creating our authority, right? And moving us up that scale from being that freelancer to being someone who has a body of work that would have value in the hands of a third party. We have to get there because there's nothing to license to anybody if we haven't created that body work that, that has value in the, in the hands of a third party. So, so let's take, for instance, um, uh, like a someone in the DEI, like the diversity, equity, inclusion space, and so they are providing one-on-one services, and they have a demand, or they just simply want to grow. And how do you grow an expertise-based business, an expert-based business? You need more experts, right? And so either you grow internally, which would be uh, uh, having employees which I, I, uh, I know some of us on this call aren't a fan of. I won't name any names. <laughs> and, uh, or we grow them internally. And so we grow them internally by through licensing. So we have to, again, have created that body of work that we are protecting every day with our, our contracts. Um, so we have that body of work that we can turn into something that we can create other experts with, whether it's license, maybe our licensees are our clients. So instead of going in and doing that one-on-one training, let's, you know, use the DEI um, consultant example, instead of going in and doing those one-on-one trainings every time, you are training someone that's in-house at that client and I'm training them and then I'm licensing my my expertise, my body of work to the client so they can just do those trainings internally. I collect a licensing fee and I'm not there anymore. Um, I'm obviously um, you have access to me to make sure that uh, you're you're staying up to date and refreshing the materials. but otherwise you've grown by creating an external expert in your client. And another way you might grow that external expert is by other service providers who also provide um, DEI training. Now, one of the things that has been happening recently is the the enforcement of accessibility, you know, for for websites, which has been on the books for I don't know, maybe 10 years, but no one's paid attention to it until yeah, yeah, until now. And so there's only, you know, there's only few people, it seems, that really kind of understand that. And so if you have figured that out and then there are other, you know, programmers who don't know how to do it because it's I understand it's very complicated. Um, you may have, you may be able to create more experts who can do that type of programming by certifying your, uh, certifying them and using your methodology for how you do it. And so you've created other external experts. And so um, you're not doing the work, uh, and you're creating, you're getting a license fee from from that um, 
from your external experts. And so that is how kind of we go up that, if we want to, you know, use kind of the, the, the imagery of, you know, the hourly being at the bottom left and, and exit being at the top right, that you're going up that by creating um, scalable um, assets. So thank you. Wow. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the, the wow, you know, I, I've had at least one client who created something like that, where they basically taught their methodology to consultants around the world and collected a fee. And it was very lucrative. And it was based on a book. And so it's, you know, it seems like so obvious when you think about it that way. But I guess my question is more of a practical one because that feels like it so changes the business that you're in, right? Because if, if I'm doing that now, I'm, I'm responsible to the people who have my materials and who are delivering the stuff. So it feels like as a, as a group, they're like a client base. It's not just a revenue stream. It's an obligation for me to keep that content up to date, maybe to bring them together in some way on a regular basis or to have some ongoing certification and training. It's like it just it. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It sounds awesome. But it feels like a fundamental shift in how we operate, especially a solo business. Yeah, it is. I mean, for the, it's less of a shift when you are turning your clients. So you're a corporate trainer and you're turning, you're still doing corporate trainings one-on-one, but you also have some who prefer to uh, be your licensee and have that ability to do it in-house. And so that is very similar because you're, you're continuing to provide those services, you're continuing to evolve your materials, continuing to update it, and then that's something that you would pass on, of course, to your licensees, as opposed to the certification example. By the way, just so if I wasn't clear, certification is still a license. So a license is any time I'm giving permission to a third party to use my intellectual property. So this in the certification example, that's more of uh, just, you know, your certification um, may be, you know, proof of competency and, you know, to, to deliver it. But I, I'm using that term just to distinguish from the two. Um, but uh, it is, you know, because you're creating competitors and they are, so you, you will want to be able to make sure that you're getting paid for the use, right? And that they aren't, they're using it within the bounds of the license. So there will be uh, restrictions in your license agreement about how they can use the materials they get from you. Um, you know, unlike the client licensee who's not a competitor, your uh, other provider, certified provider is a competitor. And so there may be some restrictions about how they can use it. And so you will have to perhaps audit them. Um, and yes, you will need to make sure that they're continuing to use it in a, a competent manner so it doesn't interfere with the quality of the brand. Um, and so for many people who choose that, they are no longer providing the service. They, they go all the way to the certification side and, and stop providing the service. So it, that is a, so that has to be what your, one of your goals is. What's a, what's a, what's a, middle ground like how, how do you go from having lots of intellectual property having a body of work having all sorts of insights and maybe some procedures and some really interesting um, questionnaires and checklists and all of the, these sorts of things that people would would kill for if they were just getting started you know like 10 years of experience wrapped up into um, 
a couple of, you know, a bunch of books and videos and all of these things, right? So like, and, and you just sell them, right? So, it, and I'm not just, I, I am talking about myself, but I, I know lots of people who do this kind of thing where it's not about this ongoing certification. It's more like you pay for the workshop, you do the training, and then when you're done, go do whatever you want. You know, there's no follow-up or anything like that. So is there, like, what's the path from, from just giving a workshop and perhaps creating competitors, like you said, and, and moving in, like, is there an interim step or like, what's the, just go all in on like, you know, Ditcherville certified pricing expert or something like what, Mm. what's the middle? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, you know, the thing with the, you know, we almost think of courses as being easier than a certification program. But in order for your courses to you know, be profitable, you need to have a fairly large audience, right? And so I think if you've been busy providing one-on-one services um, and you want to teach other people how to do it, I, you know, you, you don't have to, a certification program doesn't have to be, you know, EO, is it what is it the EO or, or whatever? But it can be just one other person who you know you provide services in you know the Washington D.C. area, and they provide services in Atlanta. It doesn't have to be a national program, um, but it's one where you're working with people who you know, like, and trust. I think would be the best way to start because of the things that Rochelle mentioned of you know making sure that they're not taking advantage. Um, and so starting small uh, with just having someone work, uh, you know, you know, certifying one at a time. Um, but if you do have a audience, then going kind of that extra step of a full-fledged certification program um, or a course uh, that teaches people and tells them to just go off and do it on their own um, would be... Um, you know, less intensive, um, but uh, in, in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the upkeep of it, obviously. Um, but, I, you know, it's not, it's not for beginners. I mean, it really is for someone who has established um, their methodology that you have a record of success, of happy clients, that you do have these processes in place, and um, and that you are willing to invest in the resources to create a training certification program. I mean, it's it's not a beginner step. Yeah, that's that's helpful context. But I think the other thing that really struck me as you were describing this, the, the two of you actually, is that um, selling courses may be a hard thing to sell your business, right? You can keep delivering the courses yourself, but unless you figure out a way for that business to run without you, the value of your business to someone else is going to be relatively small versus if you can get enough of these licensing deals in place that don't require you to be there, it feels like that's going to have more value to a potential buyer. Yeah, well, I mean, a course could certainly run without you as well, um, but uh, I mean, it would certainly depend on on the buyer. I I, I agree with you that they're going to like um, uh, the licensing program. Probably they'll they'll value that more highly than a course. Um, but 
again, the key is making sure that it's something that can run without you. And, you know, unless you want to get a job at the, at the acquirer, um, you want to make sure that, that you've developed that independence. Um, and that requires, um, you know, harnessing that intellectual property into, um, some sort of product or program or offering that, that can be done by other experts. And, and what I'm hearing underneath that, though, that you haven't said directly is that you could do this as a soloist. Yes, yes, you can do it as a soloist. Absolutely. And, you know, by that, it doesn't mean you don't want to have some people who support you. Um, certainly, if you have a, a licensing program, there's invoicing and things like that to be done and um, maintaining relationships. You know, the most successful certification programs will create a community around it, you know, so that the people will, you know, have each other to talk to and that you have a a process for answering questions and that you're continuing to engage them. So they'll want to continue to pay your licensing fee, frankly, you know, the better the experience is uh, for them, the more supported they feel, then the longer they're going to continue to license your program from you. And so it's not passive. It is still an active business that you need to be in. Um, but it's, you know, you're instead of, you know, delivering, you're, you're teaching other people how to deliver. Yeah. And the, the thing that maybe is not obvious that we, I think it's all obvious to the three of us, but maybe isn't obvious is that a big difference between doing, you know, a training workshop a couple times a year and that's, that's it. It's just, you took it, you paid your money, you took the thing and you're done and you just go off into the world and do it. The difference between that and turning that into some kind of a certification program is the certification program is recurring revenue. Yeah. So they would need to renew it every year to continue to use the materials. This is, this is interesting. Um, well, it's the licensing. So remember, at the at essence, the certification program is a licensing program. So we add that certification layer just to make sure that they're taking whatever training is up front to make sure they understand the the intellectual property that they're licensing. Mm-hmm. But on an ongoing basis, what you have is an annual or whatever the interim is license to continue to use your IP to deliver the service. Right. So, that's, inter- yeah, yeah, that's so if, useful. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and then what about, so the, the thing that, the thing that I, the certification programs that I'm familiar with that seem within reach for people like us all have this kind of marketing component where the, the people who go through the program are anxious and proud to display the certification, like the whatever certification on their website, because they know it's going to attract clients who understand who there's already an awareness of the, you know, let's say it's like the experience economy guys, Joe Pine, you know, and, and like your experience economy certified and you have to renew that every year. And there's probably an event. They, in fact, I think there is an event. Uh, maybe there's some professional development where they have to re up, um, is that always a component, that marketing piece, or is it more, is not necessarily? Is that well, something that you think about separately? Yeah. I mean, it's it's part of it because the reason someone is going to pay you to get certified by you, and by that I mean certification as opposed to just taking a course, is because there is, your because your program has value in the marketplace. And so that when they stick that on their website, people go, oh, they have been certified by, you know, by this people and I know them. And therefore I, uh, 
uh, know that they will have that bring certain uh, value to my business because yeah, I, a certain I, level of trust. That. Right, exactly, exactly. And so there will be that. So you do have a responsibility as the certificate, uh, the certifying organization, to make sure you maintain that brand because that is the value to the people who go through your program. Right. And and so yes, so the answer to that is yes. Now I'm going to just throw in here that. The trademark element, you'll notice that people can't, you know, call their business whatever the trademark may be. So I'm going to use um, CrossFit, and I hope I'm right with doing this. So people get certified in CrossFit. So you can have CrossFit at your gym, and you can put, if you go on the website, you click on it, it'll say we have CrossFit here and the R, but you can't call your gym the CrossFit gym because when you start putting the name of the trademark as the name of the business, and then you're having multiple licensees using your trademark as the name of the business, that is when you slip over to it, to the franchise um, oh, side. Yeah. And so that is a whole separate ball of wax. You know, every state has their own franchise laws. There's no national franchise law. And, um, and everyone has different standards for what constitutes a franchise, what the disclosures need to be, what the reporting needs to be. There's a whole, whole thing. So just as a general rule, you want to make sure that if you are allowing people to use your materials and they're allowed to use your trademark on their website, you know, to just prove that they have been certified by you, make sure that that's not their only business, that that's just part of what they do and not all of what they do, because that starts to look like a franchise. You know, mm -hmm. I just want to mention a site that if somebody wants to like see an example of this is Mike McCallowitz does this with Profit First. Mm -hmm. So he certifies accountants in his method. Mm -hmm. That would be an example. And you can see it on his site and how he markets it and how to how to reach somebody who's certified. Yeah, yeah. Mm, but you example. can't, I couldn't call, I couldn't open up an accounting firm called Profit First, you know, Virginia. Right. Um, <laughs> but I can, yeah, have uh, have my the certification on my on my site. Well, I could honestly talk about this all day, but I know we have to wrap up. <laughs> so where can folks go to find out more, Aaron? So like maybe sign up for your mailing list, fabulous mailing list, or list your podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah, podcast. all of the. So yes, the podcast is hourly to exit, and you can find it uh, where you found this podcast. <laughs> and uh, and then I have my website is thinkbeyondip.com, and there you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, my newsletter is more focused on uh, intellectual property and licensing, whereas the hourly to exit podcast talks about the entire journey i have guests that talk about that entire journey from kind of that the the post-corporate freelance hourly kind of mindset to building a business that can you can hopefully sell someday awesome well thanks again thank you aaron well thank you so much for having me all right folks that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i'm rochelle moulton and we hope you join us again next time for the business of authority bye bye bye